Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Chronicles of a Black Sheep. Tonight, we have a special topic that we are talking about. This month is Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. So with that being said, and everybody that knows me know that this is near and dear to my heart because my son does have autism and he is on the spectrum. So tonight I do have one of my co-hosts. I have D.W. Randolph with us tonight. And I have a very special guest speaker tonight, Mr. Marcus Boyd, who is an autism activist. And he is also one that is living with autism and functioning. Welcome tonight, Marcus. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, let's let's do this like this. Let's what? do this like this. Let's, let's tell it how it really is. Let's tell it how it really is. We have award multiple award winning <laughs> changing the world blowing yes. stuff out the box our autism activist marcus boyd let's yeah yes. let's do it like that i, I my apologies my i was gonna yeah. I, you know sometimes you want to toot your own whistle so i was gonna let yeah. him toot his own whistle <laughs> oh we gotta get that man his flaws while he's here that man his flaws while he's here man because they speaking with him on yesterday when we were doing our sound check, <sighs> like his story is amazing and it's one of triumph. And even though he's he's still in the battle, he's still in, he's in the trenches. He's still going through, and his story is utterly amazing to me. And he brought me to tears yesterday um, for a few different reasons, but just uh. To give a little background story, I came across Marcus. We are in a Black autism group on Facebook. Marcus is one that's always bringing awareness and showing stuff that he's speaking when he's going to schools and talking to, you know, other people about autism. He's putting it out there. He's putting himself out there, which speaks volumes because, you know, us Black folks and speaking with things with mental illness is, is taboo and everything else. And he's putting himself in the limelight to speak on it. And just speaking and hearing his story, the parts that I didn't know, I was like, whoa. But we're in a Black autism group and he's always, you know, like I said, just speaking on things. So I, I just, hey, inboxed him and I was like, hey, do you do podcasts by chance? <laughs> he's like, yes, I do. I was like, so... I get you on a podcast. I'm just starting out. He was like, "Of course, respectfully, humbly, I'm there for you. What what time? What's the date? Count me in. I'm there." And I was like, "You can ask my co-host. I've been ecstatic ever since we talked because, like I said, it's definitely it's a topic that needs to be discussed. The awareness needs to be there. So, Marcus, what made you become an advocate?" for autism? Well, I mean, um, first of all, I never considered myself a black sheep, but I want, you know, I consider myself, you know, in the family. Definitely got to give big kudos and major props to D.W. Randolph and stuff of that nature, all the work that you do. And I really love your podcast. So, um, you. you know, I became an activist. Um, and I used the wording differently from advocate to activist. The difference yes. for me is 
um, I'm not just going to sit on social media or, you know, um, bunk links and say I'm an advocate and don't go out there and get my hands dirty or don't get in the mud. Yes. Because, yes. because I'm getting in the mud. I'm going to get my hands dirty. So that's why I say I'm an activist. And, you know, when you are, again, when you're the first African-American male to win four awards for being an autism activist, it sets different presidents. That's volumes. Yes. So, tell them, brother. Tell them. Say, wait, wait. Say that again. Let them know what you just said. <laughs> I said when you're the first African-American male to win four awards for being an autism activist. It says different precedents, different volumes. Yes. yes. So, um, and it sets history. And it shows yes. our community that a label or a diagnosis cannot be put on you if you do not believe it. As long as you got to, again, like I told her, as long as you have a, the right team around you, because every autism individual needs the correct team. May it be speech therapists. Uh, I'm old, so back then it was a behavior aid. Now it's a peer specialist. Maybe your social worker, your therapist, your doctor, your your counselor, your 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 intermeter person, um, whoever that the, those people are in your inner circle, because it does take a village to raise a child. And in this case, it takes you a real village. A real solid, strong, not giving up, dedicated, determined individuals to help push our autism children to the next level. So let me ask you this. So before we even get started, before we even get into the question and answers, please, please tell us your story. How how did you get how was it uh growing up with autism and how did you get to this point? Um, it was, you know, I, I was born with autism, January 31st, 1983. I come from a household of 22 kids. Um, you know, from, I was raised, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, between Atlanta and Brooklyn, New York. Um, so my grandmother who had 24 kids of her own. So it's like a summer camp in a one bedroom, one bathroom. <laughs> so, you know, pass the peas or beanie weenies and hot dogs. That was real prevalent. Government cheese, we look forward to that. Pork in a can, that was our life. <laughs> so, I remember that. <laughs> so, you know, we was, as Cardi B says, we was poor poor. <laughs> you know, you got to use two, two words. We was poor poor. <laughs> so, um, I didn't start talking until I was 13, 13 and a half at a two-year-old's level. Six, seven different doctors we went to in Atlanta. And, you know, a couple of doctors in Brooklyn, New York, said the exact, basically the same thing that your grandson has severe case of autism, never going to talk. His education is going to be very little. He will always need some type of caregiver to feed him, clothe him, bathe him, um, to watch over him, to make sure that he's good. Basically, his left side of his brain doesn't function correctly as other individuals. I'm 38. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism and mass communications from Ashford University Online. Got my sisters and my, and my grandma help me. Um, I have 13 music awards. I've been nominated for Grammy seven times, and I have four autism activist awards. I have my own clothing line, my own shoe line, my own hashtag, which is hashtag I speak autism. <laughs> so I own it. <laughs> so, you know, we're coming out with a stage play. At the end of this year, we're working on the comic strip, the children's book. It's a lot of stuff they're doing. And I'm just blessed to have a team around me to see the vision and understand that it's not about me. It's about the autism individuals and families. That's what's up. That's what's up. I see. I see you over there being a, a little, a little Tyler Perry. Go ahead, stage play. Hey, I just, hey, I just want a cameo. 
I just want to walk across <laughs> with my head like this. <laughs> well, if you're in the Atlanta area, it's supposed to be in October. Um, I definitely can okay. give y'all details and locations and all that good stuff way ahead of time, months in advance. So I don't know if you're near Atlanta, by Atlanta, whatever, because currently I'm in the west side. I'm in Arizona. So, um, yeah, it's I'm, way I'm different a, from... I'm a little bit away. I'm in Korea right now. Um, other okay, obligations. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we are definitely... uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you good. I'm sorry. You know, this this all show. <laughs> <laughs> no, you the guest, man. You like, hey. Yeah. So, my, so let me ask you this. How was it being, like you said, you said mentioned earlier, the first black activist. How was it just being black with autism growing up? It was very hard because, you know, I had a group of bullies bully me every single day. And then, you know, we were in Brooklyn. The streets are your parents versus your grandparents. You understand what I'm saying? You are across the street from yep. Baptist churches. You are next door to liquor stores, bodegas, whatever, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So these type of individuals become your blood family, not the people that's inside your apartment building that you stay in. So, you know, like when I was 10 and my best friend, God rest his soul, Tony, he got blown off my face. He was almost 11 years old. You understand what I'm saying? He gave me my first pair of Jordans. His family used to feed all of us in that one bedroom apartment. There's a lot of rice and beans. Hey, <laughs> with water. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so we we did what we had to do. And you know, I was going through physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. I was in 16 different foster homes, 16, 17 different group homes, four four inpatient. Um, you know, we talk about electrical shock therapy when I refused to take Whitman, Paxo, Depakos, Claraquil. Zola. We're talking about 500 to 1,000 milligrams a day. I didn't get off medication until I was 24. I was still having problems using the bathroom on myself until I was 18. So I'm going So I get from every side of the coin dealing with autism. I literally get it. And, and that's, 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 what, that's what makes you so unique because like we were talking earlier, you see every other side. You see it from the doctor's side. You see it from the parent's side. You see it from the caregiver's side. You see it from every side, but an individual who has, who's actually experiencing autism. And it's not because they don't want to tell their story or it's just that they can't. And now we have somebody who, who can tell, actually tell their story. It's, it's time for people to like put the whole package together. Like, okay, this is what they, these guys are experiencing. This is what they're going through. And it's time for folks to listen because, again, in, in our community, we kind of shun away from that. Oh, he, he he's not right. Or we want to, uh, no, don't mess with him. Or like you said, and I, I irritated. I'm a, I'm a fairly large dude. So bullies don't, don't, don't. They rub me differently. That's, what, that's the word I'm going to use. They rub me differently. So... When I hear folks getting bullied, I I I, I kind of the hair on the back of my neck uh, raises up. But I hear it a lot. Sad to say, from individuals like with autism or Asperger's or whatever. Um, and that's 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 crazy. And it shouldn't be like that. Like you said, it takes a village. So I'm I'm 
I'm gonna stop talking because I'm just like it's I'm excited to, for some now finally we get to hear from your point of view like what's 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 the business like I like to say what's the business I say that too I do I'll be saying that to my <laughs> nephews all the time but I know what the business is and I'm like I do yes so Marcus um yesterday you shared with me some information and I know that uh people here in the group homes and everything that you um were in during this process. Can you tell us what happened with your parents that led you into going into a group home? Uh, I can, well, we can start with the foster home first. The Dorothy Carr got so was my social worker from four to about 17, 18 years old. She passed away when I was like 17, 18. Um, she was an intern at DeKalb County, Decatur, Georgia, um, near Avondale. Deborah White was her supervisor. So she was a big lady that drove a Ford Taurus with no heat and, <laughs> and her stock has ran. And she had 50 something cases on her desk. So, um, you know, but with Big Tommy, that's what I'm referring to. That's my biological father. So I don't want nobody to get confused in the conversation. So um, he didn't like that 10 of his kids, his son didn't have those you know, visible situations where you can visibly see there's something different. His last, his 11th son had those visible situations. So when he tried to take us to the park, Grant Park or and stuff of that nature, I couldn't catch the football or I couldn't pass the basketball. And I would have emotional behaviors in public or what you would call extreme tension tantrums. So I would have that this in public. So, you know, when he kept punching me in my face and I was about to be behind him and he was choking me with the swings, chains, and when he spit in my face and said that I was the N-word and I was the R-word and I can't be his son, my mom cheated with another, with a with an R-word guy to make me never want to sit by me. We could never really be in the same car. I remember when I touched his Nintendo, he had duck hunt. I guess back then it cost a lot of money. Don't don't touch Duck Hunt or Super Mario Brothers, by all means. Hey, I still play <laughs> so, them, real talk. <laughs> so, you know, when he um by, took the Uncle Joe bat from Pep Boys and um when he kept hitting me and he said, Since you love to touch my remote control, when he kept, you know, he peed on me, beat my face and stuff of that nature. And again he spit on me. Now, this is not my stepdad. This is the guy that actually helped birth me. It had something to do with me. And unfortunately, if you see him on his shot, I look like him. So we can't say um, I'm not his son. Because proof is in the place. I look exactly like him. So um, I, my mom was a lifetime movie. That's what she was. She was a lifetime movie. She followed everything he said, every command, whatever. When he... When I was four or five years old, he was trying to burn on the stove. It's that nature. See, Big Tommy is an extreme monster. Very, very, very bad. So today, Big Tommy is on nine life sentences plus 20 years in the state of Georgia. So <laughs> that's where he's at. He'll never come home. He'll be a number when he passed away. Do I wish that on him? No. Do I wish that on him? No. Do I still send him money on his JP? Yes. Do I accept the JP emails? I sure do. Because God is greater than my anger. Mm. So. And that story is what 
No, that had me crying yesterday. But yes, when we got to talking about parts in the Bible and it says, I will make your enemies your footstool. I, I don't know any any better explanation than that when you tell that part of that story. Because I couldn't imagine being treated that way by my father. I, I mean, it was constant. So, you know, when I got pissed whipped when I was four years old by him with the with the, nine, with the Glock 9, and I was in the hospital for months, and his brothers was calling um, to threaten my life. And if I say anything to anybody, my nonverbal. I can't read, write, spell. I don't even know how to put M-A-R-C-U-S on a piece of paper. So who I'm going to tell? It's just the mere fact that y'all was calling my hospital. They're in my life. And y'all, I'm four years old, and those are my real biological uncles. <laughs> so I'm not understanding none of that. But thank God for Dr. Carr, because before I got foster care, I was in her house with her three kids. She was a big woman. I guess that's why I love big women right now. But she was a big woman, and you know she she didn't she didn't play the radio. She didn't play the radio. She didn't. Or she used her size to be a horse, and she didn't let nobody do anything to me. If it was not for her, she the one who taught me the elements of reading, writing, arithmetic. When she didn't have to, and she was an intern to be a social worker at Defects. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to make sure that when I was in the adoption line, she gave me my coupon ties and my white shirt, my white button-up shirts. She gave me my bigger boy sweaters. Again, I'm old people, okay? Don't don't <laughs> say nothing about bigger boy. <laughs> I remember bigger boy. I... Go ahead. <laughs> she gave me my bigger boy sweaters. Look, my little my little Peco suits, little purple purple jean Peco suit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, but she, hey, but you a soft though, boy. You a soft. You was uh, uh. In that pego, in that pego. Yeah, you gotta say something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you are really like showing your age right now, for real. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my gonna, god. Yeah, for real. We we age. we showing oh, all of us is showing our age yeah. definitely on that. Oh my goodness. So Marcus, um not limiting anything in your life, um, any of the trials that you've gone through, there was a story that you told me about where you were homeless. Oh yeah, I was homeless for three years in the, in the state of Georgia. Um, we went to Peace and Pine. Right now, Peace and Pine is no longer there. Um, there was a cross from Crawford Hospital. Now it's called Emory Hospital, you know, on Piedmont and stuff of that nature. Probably the worst and nastiest men's shelters ever because you slept on concrete with your luggage and if somebody pissed right next to you, that's what it was. It was not like there was bathroom or anything else and you had to come outside the warehouse to get food from the churches that was giving out sack lunches and stuff every 15, 30 minutes. In the area that was a prostitution area, rundown hotels where women used to do their thing and stuff of that nature. Um, I slept in dumpsters. I ate out of dumpsters. Um, you know, there was family members that was a block away from the shelter. When I knocked on the door, they said they don't do homeless people. And we blood. Yeah, we blood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, oh. I mean, it, it, it made me, that's why I learned how to rap and I became a gospel rapper. 
you know, I had I learned lyrically how to express myself in writing form. So on wax, I can tell them about themselves. So that was that was gonna be my that was gonna be my question. Like how with all of that you went through, like mm-hmm. how did you get to the point you are now? A lot of prayer. Right now, currently, I stay with my sister and her husband. They have a ministry it's called Remnant Apostolic Center. So he's like the only major chief apostle in Arizona. So I'm under their covering. I'm under their teaching. They believe in everything about that's stated and imprinted in the Bible. So, you know, we pray every morning. Bible studies every Wednesday, service Sunday at 3 p.m. So it's like I get that stuff embedded in my system. And it teaches me I can't hate. I can't walk around with hate and envy. I can't walk around saying this is my past. This is what this person did to me, so I deserve better. The only way I can get better if I make it better. Autism or not. This world don't give me past because I have autism. So rather soaking in my horrific messed up past, I can make a future that's going to be luxury, glorious, and impactful. So I choose to do the second one. And that I love. Um, because like I said, with you putting yourself out there in the forefront, it's, it's no hose bar. Like you can get attacked at all areas from people that don't understand. And one of the things we discussed is family. Man. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about family and in when there's a time of need and you're dealing with a child with a disability or an adult or anything on their lives, even if going into the levels of depression, it's very, very, very rare that you can depend on family. Like well, I like to call it a situation amnesia. Because when you're on the phone with them and you and you saying, hey, hey, you need to copyright that. Girl, I'm going through such and such. Oh, come on. Come up to my house or whatever. So when you go to your family's house and you tell them in full detail the situation, then they start scratching the back of their head like, um, you know, because, um, you know, I thought before I heard the whole situation that we can help. So you made me waste, waste gas, time, and effort, and I beg you to help me. And this is for you to scratch the back of your head and tell me like, uh, cuz, you know, maybe I can get you some shelf and numbers. Two on one can do that. I came to you. <laughs> yes, they do. So maybe you have a situation amnesia. I, I, you, you need to copyright that. You need to copyright yes. that. Because I love that. I'm about Dude. to start using yeah. that because I, I got a whole, I'm going to say about 98% of my family got that amnesia for real. Um, because well, I know during this journey, as a mother, this is one of the loneliest journeys. You don't find people that support you or help you. So I, I'm like, when I say like I'm the lone warrior, I take my son to all of his appointments. I have to find a job that works around his schedule. And, you know, even with that, you know, that there's a place where how do you want to say if if the school call and you don't answer, they can turn yeah. right around after they hang up with you and call CPS. 
Yeah. So yeah, you have to be flexible when you have a child with a disability because they don't care. They looking for you to mess up. So you definitely got to you got to dot those I's and cross those T's. So, man, I'm telling you, I, I definitely see both sides when being active. And even when I'm going to classes, when I tell you I am the only black person in these classes mm. and I'm like over years, I know I've gone to about 50 plus classes and I'm the only black person. But you see the Mexicans the white people, everybody else, they're in there and they got, they have their significant other with them or either they got a whole line of family. Like they didn't took up the whole conference side. And it's like, where are we? Because there are black people with autism. We're, we're proof of that. But where are y'all? And it's so many people in denial and just yeah. don't want to deal with that diagnosis. And I know the it diagnosis is different. Yes, the di it hits different. Some people get that diagnosis and it's like, hell, my life like is almost, It's life. almost like a dip. It's almost like, like a, a dip. Yes. Yeah. And, you're, and you are proof. Amazing. You are proof that it's not a death sentence. Even with no, my son, I look at my son and look at all that he's accomplished. Because one, he's not supposed to be here. I could have, I almost lost him eight years ago. He's not supposed to be here. So when I look at him, I have an admiration for him because this is my warrior. And he tells me all the time, mama, I'm built for this. I got this. It, huh. Autism doesn't have me. And just his spirit, just that's his, that gets me through. And his day-to-day -day accomplishments, that's what gets me through. But for me, with the health issues he had from birth till we, he got the diagnosis, when I got that diagnosis, it was relief for me because I was like, now it makes sense. Everything going down through the years makes sense. But many people get that diagnosis and they're like, oh my God. I had to work with me shooting. I think mm -hmm. when my grandma first heard in April 12th, 1993 from Clifton Springs Mental Health Center by Dr. King, um, I was 10. I think when my grandma first heard, I never seen a, an elderly woman put that much olive oil on a, on a doctor. Never seen it before. I mean, it was a bunch of it. I mean, she was just going like this. I mean, like she was praying and speaking in tongues. I mean, I mean, you thought she had a revival. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but she took me she took me to places like Ryan's, Golden Corral, Piccadilly's, you know, Old Country Buffet, when she knew I was going to have public episodes. And then when people used to stare and say something to her, like, ma'am, could you get your grandson or your child? And she just started praying and throwing holy oil on them and stuff of that nature, beauty demons. You know, That's she, what I'm talking she about. <laughs> hey, grandma said, I'm gangster. She said she's a gospel gangster. You run up on me, I got olive oil for you. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But you have to have some gangsters in your life. On, on this yeah. road, you have to have some gangsters. And the importance of, I know like now, did they have like 504s and IEPs back then when you yes. were coming up? Yes. yes. My okay, God. that's good I, I to know. I stayed with IEPs. And then it got so bad where they used to make you sit right next to the other parent that had their, their time. So they used to do 30-minute IEP sessions. So you had to sit and wow. hear 
your 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 classmates' situation with their parents. So I remember one time Ms. Anderson basically said, Marcus is not using his brain, he's a vegetable. There's nothing that Marcus can do. Um, I can't encourage him. I can't move him forward. He's not moving into his IEP and he got low concentration, no mathematical skills or anything else. My grandma simply stood up and said, then you graduate from high school. Ms. Anderson said, yes. She said, well, then you graduate from college with some type of yes. teaching certification or teaching classes. Ms. Anderson said she has a master's degree. So my grandma said, use your, your that, the F word, master's degree, <laughs> and, teach, and teach him. Because if you can't make it better, yes. I will. I do it for free. You get paid to supposed to do it. Yes. Mm. So, and go ahead, Drew. So, like, just like you, y'all throwing out a whole bunch of five hundred fours and IOPs and stuff like that. I was gonna break that down. <laughs> no, but, no actually, I got, I got, I got two. It's two quick, two part question. Well, now it's one since you're gonna break it down. But how right. did you guys find out about that stuff? Because I think a lot of our as far as our black community problem is, we don't know. And so we are afraid to to take down that shield and ask, hey, what can I do for my son that's having these behavioral issues? What can I do for my my daughter who's who's not speaking? And 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 again it goes back to what we said earlier about being judged. Like what how did you guys get past that that fear of the un unknown? So for me, and I'm I'm definitely going to give her a shout out right now. Um, Francine Sanchez, one of my good friends, that she is a social worker. She loves working with people. So with Francine, um, she would always check on Asante. She knew about his diagnosis. And she said, you need to get him an advocate. Because she was asking me, well, how's this for school? I'm like, man, they calling him for me to pick him up like every day. And she's like, no, get him an advocate. She said, go to Brighton and tell them you need to sign up for an advocate. And I'm like, okay. So when I go to get this advocate, let me tell you how, how stuff work out. His advocate has two children with autism, one verbal and one nonverbal. And he says, well, let me ask you this, since this is going on in this behaviors, does he at least have a 504 plan? And I said, yeah, he has a 504. And the 504 gives information and guidelines on what can help him with his behaviors, what can help him with his learning. And it's, to me, it's minimal. It's not very detailed. So once we start going through everything with him, he said, no, he needs an IEP. And an IEP is an individualized educational plan. It is a plan that is specific to your child. Your child, the thing about a kid with autism is they learn differently. Number one, they are not retarded, far from retarded. Number two, you have to tap into their way of learning. They're very intelligent. Asante can do math in his head, very smart. But you, everybody learns differently. Some people are visual. Some people are hands-on. You have to figure out what works for that child when it's, when it's learning. And when you hit that button on the way that they learn, man, it is like a 
a complete turnaround. And once they got it, it's like they just take off. But you have to put your pride and that black stigma and the look of, I don't want people knowing my business and looking at me and all that. You have to put that pride aside and you have to do what's best for that child because you're the reason why that child is here. Yeah. What about you, Mark? What about you, Mark? Uh, what, what, what can you... Well, back in the day, back in the day, you know, they was focusing on introducing 504 plans. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it was really stronger on IEPs, and they had them once every month and stuff of that nature there. So you're degressing, you're progressing, and stuff of that area, writing down stuff that you need to work on. If you're making sounds and loud noises in your classroom, then they, you know, they say they had to uh, separate you and put you in the child room or whatever, whatever. I went to a school for, for, for individuals that had my same issue and other issues. It's called Sex and Woods. So when they used to put us in timeout room and the white clock for the 60 minutes and it was padded and, and stuff of that nature and they had the clear white bubble doors and stuff of that nature, uh, you know, nobody really wanted to go in the timeout room, but every time they did the IEPs, you knew it was an IEP meeting because they'd get them bologna sandwiches that they normally don't serve at lunch, those little squeezable juices and stuff like that. It, you know what I'm saying? And then they'd be like, well, sit down, Mrs. Um, Boyd. Here is what we have to show you what your grandson has been doing for the whole 30 days. This is his IEP chart release. So we want to show you his actions. And then when they see all those X's or, you know, when they see all the stuff that needs to be corrected, then it's like, well, he's not trying his best. No, it may not even be that. It may be you're not teaching at your best. We yes. can't always blame the autism yes. individual because their actions is going to be, you know, recurrent. Their actions is going to be routine. We already know that we think different, we look at things different, and, you know, stuff of that nature. But you as a teacher, you always have to be creative. You always have to think outside the box and be on your feet. So if you can't do that for somebody that's saying that they need your full attention, then how can you do that with 25 other children? And that's real because oh. everybody doesn't have a heart for children with disabilities, period. And I know from my experience, there was a teacher I swear up and down, she just didn't give a damn. Like my son was like an issue for her. And he felt that. He'd rather sit outside the he would sit outside the classroom. He wouldn't even go into her classroom because he felt that from her. Like she had no understanding of anything that he was going through, paperwork and anything. And I'm like, have you read his paperwork? Have you went through his IEP? Because I know right now you're not following through with what you're supposed to do. So when that advocate came in, oh, he flipped the switch. When they see him coming, they are not happy campus because they know he coming with something and they better have everything, they P's and Q's and be on point with it because he's going to call them on it. So it's, and to anybody out there, do not let these schools tell you what they cannot do. Yep. Yes, they can. They will try to discourage you from getting an advocate because they don't want nobody in their business. They getting paid, but they don't want to get paid to do it. They don't want to do what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to be getting paid for. They love when a parent has no knowledge 
of the benefits yeah. and what their child is allowed to get under the Disability Act. And it is a lot. Do not let them tell you that, oh, well, we only got one person and we we, we got all these kids and we can't put, yeah, guess what? They get money, not only from the government. When your child has an IEP, they get money for that also to cater to that child. Please don't don't fall for the okie doke. I got caught up in that before I knew about IEPs and having an advocate. Do not let them tell you what they can't do because they can. Yep. Yes, ma'am. So, so Marcus, let me ask you this. So growing up with a family of like roughly 40 some people and going through everything that you went through, do you mm -hmm. feel that it could be the resources that are available? Um, that's part of the issue or that's the issue? Well, you have to understand something. You know, when you're in, in poverty projects and stuff of that nature, ain't nobody coming knocking at your door and says, hi. Um, we with the school board and you know, we notice differences in your grandson, your child or whatever. So here's some resources or some services that can help them out. You know, we all look at the same. We all treat the same. It's just another number that people are getting paid for to sit in the seat. At a school function. Mm. That's deep to say. That's like that's and again, I, I like I like this conversation because it's coming from somebody who's been through who's literally been through the shit. Like from everything that you've done and uh, dealing with autism, getting to the point where you're at now talking about it. And for to hear you say that. It, it brings another light to it because you hear it all the time from people on the outside. Oh, there's not enough resources, blah, 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 blah. But for somebody who's actually going through it and who went through it to tell you like, hey, this is what's going on. This is this is how stuff really is. It's, it's powerful. So, uh, listen, unfortunately, we had to cut this interview short. I'm not really feeling well. Okay. okay. That's fine. No problem, Marcus. I just, I definitely no, want to thank you for coming on and just talking with us, and I greatly appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And definitely a check on you later, okay? Yeah. yeah, we'll check on you later, homie. All right. Thank you, Marcus.